Hey, thanks for being here. We're, we've been covering First uh, John. We've literally, over the years, gone through the Gospels and through Acts and through Paul's letters, and, and now we're into John's letter to the church. To catch you up, John's writing to the church, and he's basically saying, you guys, you got false teachers among you, people that are considered to be Gnostics. They believe that... Jesus really wasn't physically here on earth, like he didn't come in human form. And and here we are in the middle of Christmas, when Christmas is all about Jesus coming in human form, right? I mean, he comes as baby Jesus, and uh, pretty much that's what Christmas is. We've made it into so much more, but it's really about Jesus coming in human form, and so John's taught this to the church, yet he's got these false teachers that are coming in and saying, no, that if matter is evil, then Jesus really wasn't here as a human being. He was just spiritually here. And John's like, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Now watch this. We're in chapter 5, and he's just reassuring the church of what they already know, what they've been taught. He says, everyone, that's a universal invitation, everyone, Jesus died on the cross for everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. Think about this for a second. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and they knew there was someone that was coming to save them from their sin. They were looking for a Messiah. And... The Jews wouldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he, one, was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth, and he was a son of a carpenter. He's not the king, the Messiah that they were looking for. But he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that was the heart of the problem for the false teachers, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. And you look at the one born of him, is John actually referring to Jesus, or is he referring to us, the believers? Because believe it or not, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're a believer in Jesus, then you're one of his. Like he's already like claimed you as a child, his own child, and John has talked about that in the previous chapters. So John's like said multiple times here that all who obey God's commands, you're born of God. Well, it's not because you're obeying commands. It's because you're born of God. And because you're born of God, you the byproduct is that you obey his commands. And you go, yeah, I know those commands, those Ten Commandments, those 613 laws, that whole Sermon on the Mount thing. But... The only commands that I have are the commands of Christ, which is to love God with all my heart. And if I love God with all my heart, it's going to cause me to love people. And that, Robert, is what this church is about. If, if, we, can, if we can teach you how good God is, how much he loves you, and you figure that thing out, the byproduct of you knowing that is loving people. 
and caring for people. So those who believe in Jesus, they love the Father, and consequently, they love his children. They love each other. Verse 2, it says, this is how we know that we love God's children. It's kind of like the reality test. If you want to know who are believers in Jesus, see how they treat one another. You're really part of a reality show right here on earth. People are watching you and how you treat other people. When we love God and obey his commands... And that's not sentimentally, but it's action. It's actually doing something. Be careful. Verse 3, it says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. <laughs> so uh, that, that love goes both ways. We obey, and his commands, of, his commands are good for us. Now watch this. In the Old Covenant, they're taught to... Uh, keep the commandments, to live by the commandments, to be able to, like, if you do these things, God will bless you. If you don't, you'll be cursed. That's the whole Old Testament. And they pretty much proved they couldn't do that, that they couldn't live by the commands. Then Jesus came along and he died on the cross, and we have a new covenant. He's like, you've already proven that you can't do this, so I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried and raised again, and I'm going to send the Spirit among you, and he's going to live in you, and he's going to do this for you, and you're going to be capable of keeping the commands because the Spirit is in you, and he's going to guide you and direct you and teach you. Well, I didn't learn that for a long time. Like, if this is me, as a young man, I was told to be good, bad, good, that um, I had to clean my room, and when I cleaned my room... I got a prize for being good. And if I got good grades, and if I read my Bible, and if I was nice to my sister, and my other sister, then occasionally I was not. But then, you know, I made some cookies for my neighbor. And then uh, I fought with my sister. And then I went to college and God called me into the ministry. I was really good then. I was really good then. But then, you know, I still struggled. And this is how I live my Christian life. Because that is what I was taught. And that is the Old Covenant. And then all of a sudden, uh, my friend Keith, who was just up here, he challenged me. He challenged me in what I was teaching. You know, like, you're, you're teaching law to these kids, you know, about how to go up and down on this thing right here, this, this fill the jar and lose candy. And all of a sudden, he, the question was, do you... Do you live in a state of forgiveness? Do, do I live in a state of forgiveness? Well, I ask for forgiveness. But why? He, he died one time. He, he died one time, and when he died one time, he took care of all your sins, past, present, and future. Like everything I've done, everything I'm doing, and everything I'm going to do, he dealt with one time on the cross before I was even here on the face of this earth. 
That's not what I was taught. I was taught this. And then I started like looking at the scripture and started seeing that he made me holy, righteous, and redeemed. And it's that whole uh, process of repacification where something's broken and then all of a sudden you try to make it better. You try to make it work. And it wasn't me doing it. It was the Lord doing it. And this is what he did. me now I'm good and it's not based upon what I do it's based upon what he did for me and when I realize this right here (laughs) there you go there you go it's like it's like there's there's plenty of love to go around because this is what he did he did for me and you know what there's there's a whole bunch more in here too look there's a whole bunch in here. Sorry, pinheads, if I'm messing up your... You've got to figure this out. Figure this out. It's the love for God, and I'll pass out plenty of love. Verse 4, it says this, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Human society acting apart and independent from God is what he's really referring to. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. It means to overcome. It's actually the Greek word, nikos. You ever heard that word before, nikos? Some of you have it on your feet right now. Nike means to overcome, to win. It's the goddess of victory is who it is. And so literally, he's allowed us to overcome. Believers are on this specific trajectory that we can't be stopped. I can't, I can't remove any more out of that. I can't do anything about that. It's complete, it's full, it's done. No matter how bad I act, it's not changing. Because he did it, it's complete. God is responsible for carrying out my salvation and my life. So when you struggle with sin, when you struggle with whatever it is, and you come to the end of yourself, and you realize it's a done deal, he's probably the only one that's going to allow you to overcome it. Because it's going to call. It's going to take him to do it for you. It's him. He'll do it. You, you've tried in your own strength. Work for a while. It says in verse six, excuse me, verse five. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes, the one who trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. This gospel is very simple. We need to believe, we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved. That's it. It's that simple. It's just a simple belief. 
I did that when I was eight years old. I was able to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I didn't learn all of this till later in life. And I'm still learning this right now. Verse 6, it says, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. Now you're sitting there going, well, what in the world does that mean? There are two views of this. John could have been speaking of Jesus' water baptism when John the Baptist baptized Jesus and about his crucifixion, the blood being his crucifixion. However, I think there's another view that is more preferable. John's likely speaking of Christmas. Christ's physical birth, when he comes from water, he came from his mother, and he came in human form. If he is trying to reassure these people, don't listen to the Gnostics who say Jesus didn't come in human form, that's probably what he's saying. is like Jesus came in human form through water, through water. This makes sense. It just makes sense to me. Jesus was both born of a woman and born of a spirit. Therefore, Christ, hear this, Christ is fully man, and he's fully God at the same time. You, you realize how important that is, right? Because he is able to come in this divinity, this divine being that he was, this holy being that he was of God, and to come into human form, and it basically said, hey, I'm going to relate to you here on earth. And I'm going to do this on the cross so that you can experience this. This completeness, this wholeness. And this is why the Gnostics' rejection of Christ's humanity is so problematic. It's because he literally came in human form. It says, and the Spirit is one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. I go back to what Jesus said in John 16. He's talking to his disciples and he says this, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. Remember, I just said he died he was buried, he rose again, he went to heaven, and he's going to send the Spirit. If he wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't have this Spirit living inside of you. It says, if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, you know, and the disciples were sitting here just like you are. Huh? Huh? He says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin. He'll convict the world about sin. What is what is the sin? The sin is unbelief. It's unbelief. If the, what the Holy Spirit does to the world is convict them of their unbelief. He says, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. They don't believe in me. The Holy Spirit's coming to convict people, and he does that through the law. Another whole thing there. He says, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. So righteousness, well, who is the Holy Spirit convicting of righteousness? Those that are righteous. That would be you. Like, the Spirit 
the Spirit inside of you is convicting you of your righteousness. He's not convicting you of your sin. He's doing that to the world because of their unbelief. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's not busting your chops about your sin and your wrong decisions. He's basically saying, I made you whole. I made you perfect. I redeemed you. I forgave you. He's convicting me of my righteousness. You are the righteousness of Christ. (laughs) That whole thing, it's gone. It's gone. I know the world does this to us. The world, I would expect them to do that to me. But, like, I can look at this and go, oh, wow, that's me. Oh, wow, that's my wife. Oh, wow, that's my kids. Oh, wow, that's the church. I'm looking at holy, righteous, redeemed people right here. It's a beautiful sight. He says, and about judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Like, they couldn't understand it then because the Spirit hadn't come yet. That's why they were sitting there looking at him like, huh? They didn't get it. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. (laughs) To you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So literally what he's saying right here is he reveals the gospel truth. This is what's going to happen. And then two, the Spirit comes and convicts the world of sin. Three, he leads us to Christ. He points us to Christ no matter what we do. And we're baptized into Christ. It's not my water baptism that baptized me into Christ. It was simply my belief that baptized me into Christ. And here's the beautiful thing for me as your pastor, leader, whatever, shepherd. I'm not responsible for you and what you do. I can look at you like this. Not the stuff you do. You guys do some crazy stuff. It's not my deal. People go, how do you deal with everybody's junk? I don't. I don't. It's not my junk. I got my own junk. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Verse 7. For there are three that testify. One's the Spirit. Remember at Jesus' baptism, the, the dove descended. There's the Spirit. The water, that was his actual immersion in the water, and the blood, which would be his crucifixion. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, he's talking about the false teachers, if we believe what the Gnostics are teaching us, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. Matthew 3.17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son for whom I am well pleased. Verse 10 says, the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. There's this internal spirit in you, this gospel of truth in you. It's saying, and we often, we sit here, I can remember the times in my life when I was trying to figure this thing out, is I was worried about having more faith and needing somehow, somehow I've got to keep this faith alive. I've got to keep this thing going. I've got to do this. 
when all of a sudden I'm like, I don't have to do that. That's not my responsibility. God's poured his testimony out into my heart. It says it right here. We know God at the core of our beings, and there's nothing that I can do to interrupt that. He says, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed. That's just a personal indictment about the Gnostics of those who were unredeemed. How, how is one unredeemed? Because they don't believe. What's the Spirit coming to do? He's coming to convict them of their unbelief. It says, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. <laughs> God's testimony is that all who believe have eternal life. Oh, me and you, we're together forever. Forever. Even the ones that have gone on before us, forever. This is temporary. I, I can't lose my salvation. Sometimes, I'm sure there's others in here in the room that the evil one will say, oh, you're going to lose your salvation. It's not possible. If, if you've been made a child of God, you're a child of God. Uh, Corey is my son, and he can, he can divorce me as a parent, but he's still my son. He can walk away and have nothing to do with me, but he's still my son. You are still a child of God no matter what decisions you make can't change it it's not a it's not a ticket to heaven or a thing it's it's the son of god just believing in him if you have if you have the person of christ living in you then you have salvation verse 12 it says the one who has the son has life the one who does not have the son of god does not have life and Jesus said, you go back to when he was talking to his disciples in John 17, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's it. It's belief. Just belief. It's that simple. Verse 13, it says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So now what he is trying to do in this last part of this letter is he's just trying to assure them of their salvation. You're saved. You're good. Stay focused on what we've been teaching you and what you've learned from us, all these things. But he's saying here, believers have eternal life who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Believers have eternal life. This is the confidence, the boldness, and the freedom that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John's not talking about naming and claiming and all that stuff that you hear on television. He's not concerned about the material items that you want or you desire. This is, is, this is really about God's will not being this ambiguous concept, but it's God's will for you to walk by His Spirit. Like, you can ask for things, 
And when you're doing this whole thing, you it's Christmas time, you ask for things. But when you really come in tune with God and you know your identity and you begin to walk and realize that you're a child of God, the things that you begin to pray about are the things that are of God's heart. Of God's heart. Psalm 30... 37.4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give your heart's desires. What are your heart's desires? Whatever God's will is for my life. That's how I start praying. Verse, verse 15, it says, and if we know what he hears, whatever we ask, we know that we have and what we have, we have asked for him. God hears believers prayers he hears them and not only that he answers them well, why does he answer them because i'm praying for god's will to be done i'm not sure what that is <laughs> like in what what's my next hour look like god i'm praying your will be done in my life i'm going to walk by your spirit i'm going to trust you Verse 16, if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life. We're talking about abundant life, not referring to eternal life, but life here on earth. It says, ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. This, there is a sin that leads to death. John is literally speaking about the unbelief in Jesus. God's not going to forgive unbelief. That's the whole thing. He's, anything else that you do, the, the cross is covered. You, 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 you can sit in here and go, oh, I, 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 I'm not that good. You, you, you don't know the stuff that I've done. Like, I'm a, I've done some bad things. You know what you're doing when you say that? You're saying that you're bigger than Jesus. Like, really? Jesus' blood couldn't cover what you've done? Are you saying that you're, you're more powerful than Jesus in what you've done? That his blood can't forgive you? <laughs> He's like, the only thing that doesn't forgive is, is unbelief. He's like, I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that doesn't lead to death. I take you to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. It says, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways in the way of truth, will be, maligned, will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment... And if he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, 
And if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. You, you don't think God understands salvation? How to save those who believe? He's proved his point. He's proved what fellowship with God will bring, what fellowship with other believers will bring. And then John concludes his letter here. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God, again, believers are born of God. All who believe in Jesus are born again. And we still make mistakes. We, we still make mistakes, but I'm not characterized by these mistakes. That's not me. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. They don't continue to practice sin. I still sin, but it's not, like, it's not my practice. It's not natural for me to sin. Even though I make bad choices occasionally, it's not natural for me. My nature is good and holy and righteous and redeemed. He says, who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him. Christ sustains us. And the evil one does not touch him. They can't condemn me. The evil one can't condemn me. He does all the time in my head, but I have to know the truth, right? I have to know this is me. This is who I am. This is, I'm complete. I'm righteous and redeemed. I'm holy. Otherwise, if I don't understand this, I'm walking around with his tactics of shame and guilt. And I never win this game of walking around as a victorious Christian. If I understand this, I walk around with victory. I walk around with my head held high. Not arrogant, but with boldness because of what Christ did for me. That's who I am. He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. He doesn't hold control over me. He doesn't. Oh, he plays with me. But I have such, something much greater than him inside of me. I've literally been given the mind of Christ to be able to like look at this Bible and be able to read it, understand it. To understand it more every day because there's a spirit living inside of me. Oh, yeah, the evil one, he's Roman. He's doing his thing, that's for sure. But he has no power over us. Greater is he who is in you than is in the world. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. He literally comes. Believers can know the Messiah has come and he's given us understanding. That you can see this, that you can see this. And this is literally what, it, what John's saying to the church. You've, you know this. Quit being deceived by the false teachers. 
We are in the true one. That is, in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Believers, you in this room, you know the true one. Either the father or the son. And the last thing he says is, little children, little children, remember he says back in uh, uh, the second chapter, little children, you understand forgiveness? You understand forgiveness? That's the basics of Spiritual maturity is just understanding forgiveness that Christ died for all sin. He says, little children, guard yourselves from idols, the false teachers. I've told you everything I possibly can, he says. We look at uh, denominational issues and over the, the years, what has come about the assurance of God's salvation. You know, John Calvin based his assurance on God's election. And he said that we can never be certain in this life. Like, there may, there may just be a little... And that ain't right. I have complete assurance. John Wesley based assurance on religious experience. He believed that we have the ability to live above known sin. The Roman Catholics and the Church of Christ, they base assurance on the authoritative church. Oh. That just doesn't even sound right. But most evangelicals that sit here and read the Bible base their assurances on the promises of the Bible. God assures us over and over and over. Believe in Jesus. You have salvation. You have eternal life. You are a child of God. Just believe the Bible. Just believe what Jesus said. I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Lord, may we um, keep figuring this thing out. May we just, uh, may you reassure, may you reassure, not me, not me sitting here on this stage talking, but you just reassure your children here that they are loved and that they are redeemed, they're forgiven. And there's nothing they can do to change that. It cannot be taken away. May we be able to stay focused on you rather than this world. And Lord, we're in the season right now where it's supposed to be about you. <laughs> it's supposed to be about you. I pray that it does. That those in this room right here can just focus on Jesus this Christmas. So Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.